it really is a, a great joy and a privilege for me to be here. Uh, I've already been blessed hearing from uh, Greg and Janis. And I will add a footnote to that picture of those Coptic Christians that were executed on that beach. Uh, I was talking to Joshua Yusuf. I happened to see him once a month. We are in a small group in Atlanta that we meet every month. And he showed me a picture from that very same beach a few months later of Christians being baptized, going specifically there so they would reclaim that for Christ, that they would not be intimidated by what ISIS or anybody else is doing there. It, was, it just touched my heart when I saw that. Well, it, this is my first time in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I'm enjoying it. This is an awesome place, a great facility. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Uh, I've heard so much about this place from uh, my friend Wayne and from other co-workers who have been here before. And uh, also I got to meet some of you in Uganda in 2013 when you were there doing training for national pastors. So to finally be here, it's a special blessing for me. Uh, Hoffman Town has been an amazing partner for AMG over the years. And I want to say thank you for partnering with us. Uh, God has used it, is using it to produce plentiful fruit around the world, and I trust that he'll, he will continue to do so for many years to come. Now, I come here from Chattanooga, but as you can tell from my accent, I'm not from Chattanooga or from the South or from any other place in the U.S. I am from Greece. English is my second language, and uh, sometimes it flows better than others. So, okay. Uh, I came to the United States when I was 14 in 1980, and it was right before the school year started. And I remember going to school that first day, and um, the kids were fascinated. It was a public school. The kids were fascinated with me because they have never heard a Greek accent before. And this was one girl in particular, and she goes to me, well, where are you from? And I go, I'm from Greece. And she goes, is that in Africa? So. <laughs> Okay, and then she goes, you have a funny accent in a very deep southern accent. So immediately, immediately I realized that people in the south don't think they have a funny accent. And uh, also the geography was not a point of emphasis in that girl's education to that point. All right. Okay, I want to show you, I have more time than those other guys, so I want to show you a picture of my family. So you can, you can, we don't get our family picture taken very often. So uh, this is from my daughter's wedding last June. And you can see what the real Greek family looks like. Notice the dark hair except for my son-in-law. I'm still getting used to that one. Uh, okay, you can see my mom and dad, Simon and Anna, very biblical names. My dad has been serving with AMG for 56 years. My mom for 39 years. Uh, my daughter, my lovely wife, Margarita, uh, she's dean of academics for Silverdale Baptist Academy in a Christian school in Chattanooga. And then uh, my daughter, Anna, and my son-in-law, Ryan, they got married in June. They are at Florida State working on their PhDs, both of them, so that's exciting. And then my son, Alexander, the baby of our family, we call him Alexander the Great because he keeps us busy. And he's a senior in high school this year, so he's going to continue his studies later on. Now, as for me, I have been serving full-time at AMG for 26 years, and that was not the original plan. My original plan was to design jet engines. 
I mean, my, I studied aerospace engineering. That's what, where I come from. But God has a sense of humor, and he had other plans, and I've been at AMG for 26 years. And when I first joined AMG, Dr. Zodiades, who led AMG for 50 years, more than 50 years, he told me, you'll never regret serving in the ministry. And he was absolutely right. I have never regretted a day of being there. There is no great, greater pleasure, and I get to do that a lot in my job, to visit different places and to see lives transformed by the power of the gospel. There is no greater thrill than that, to see actual lives changed for this life and for eternity by the power of Christ and th by having the message of the gospel. Well, the theme of the conference this week is our hope. So I want to lay kind of a biblical foundation for, for missions by talking about our hope for the glory of God. So that's my uh, subject tonight, our hope for the glory of God. And I want to read a couple of verses from Paul's epistle to the Romans, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It's the epistle to the Romans, chapter 5, 1 and 2. In those two verses, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Uh, there are three... <laughs> sorry. There are three... Am, am I doing something... Okay, there are three, <laughs> I don't know what's going on, sorry about that, it's going to be exciting and loud maybe, okay. There are three points that I want to highlight to you tonight. The first one is that God has filled us with hope. God has filled all of us with hope. Now, what does it mean to hope? What do we hope for? It is a common expression, we say, I hope for this and I hope for that. I hope there is good weather tomorrow, or I hope I made the right decision. And it's always something positive. I've never heard anybody say, I hope there is a tornado tomorrow, or I sure hope that I really messed up on that one. I've never heard that. So it's always looking forward to something good, something that has not happened yet, something that can be obtained. As Christians, we have a very confident expectation of good things to come. Our hope is not blind optimism or a hopeful dream that has no chance of becoming reality. It is a very confident expectation of good things to come, and, it is, and that is because it is not based on the promises of uh, politicians or other men, but it is based on the promises of our almighty sovereign father. It's based on that and the fact that because Christ paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, we can have for, hope for eternity with God. All right. Now, without Christ, there is absolutely no hope. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.12 reminds us that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Without Christ, 
there is no hope. And the world around us, sadly, is filled with people without hope. It takes Christ and the gospel to change that. Those are needed. And when they come in, they can change everything. When I think of people without hope, of hope, without hope the image that comes to my mind is when I first joined the ministry of AMG, and uh, it was after the Iron Curtain had just opened up, and our uh, co-workers had gone into Albania and Romania, and they, working, they were working with orphans in those places. And when they first went in, I remember the pictures of little kids tied to cribs with blank looks on their faces, uh, dirty, filthy, malnourished. And when I think of people without hope, and I have seen that many times, I think of mothers that have that little malnourished child, and they don't know what to do. They have nowhere to turn to, and they, they just are hoping against hope for somebody to help them. They don't know what to do. So many people, it's heartbreaking. We see that all over the place. People without hope, and they need hope. And then the image that comes to my mind when I think of people with hope, it is not necessarily of somebody who has a lot. Actually, the first image that comes to my mind is the leprosy sufferers in India, where I have been a couple of times, and I was there just last fall, and to see them sitting on the ground, on ranks, in 100 degree temperatures, with 100% humidity, uh, nearly 100% humidity, it sure felt like it, and then they were praising God at the top of their voices. What an amazing picture. So many had bodies that were ravaged by the, the disease. There were those that had missing fingers or missing toes or even missing ears and noses. Yet, their face was radiating the joy of the Lord because they had found hope in Christ. I mean, we asked them, how many of you have come to know Christ as Savior? And just about everybody raised their hand, and they were clapping, and they were so excited. Because of Christ, through him, many had come to experience joy and salvation, and they could hope for the day when they would spend eternity in his presence. In fact, I want to give you a little taste of the leprosy, of AMG's leprosy ministry in India. So there is a little video, it's about four and a half minutes if we can watch that. We are at AMG's Bethesda colony. It is a colony for leprosy victims and we just had uh, the privilege of with worshiping some of them and to see uh, the joy of the Lord in many of their faces as they have come to know the Lord the Savior. It's really special to be able to spend some time with uh, leprosy victims. Because of the stigma of the disease, they are not allowed to stay with other people. While leprosy is cured, the effects on their bodies cannot be reversed. There are so many that are missing fingers and uh, you can see their faces have been disfigured by the disease. And uh, it really feels like we are back at the time of Jesus. And we are privileged to be among some of the leprosy sufferers that have helped through AMG. AMG has been working in India for uh, more than 40 years now. And one of the big ministries is to help leprosy sufferers 
following the example of Jesus, who came and touched them and uh, did the unthinkable. Uh, it was unclean to touch a leper in those days, but Jesus came and touched the leprosy patients of his day and cleansed them. And it is because of his love for all of us that we are able to follow his example and come here and touch the lives of these leprosy sufferers. It's the exact same people that Jesus ministered to in his day, and we are privileged to be doing that today. These individuals really need help because they face rejection from others in society. It is uh, really a privilege for AMG India to come alongside and, and be able to help them. We are grateful to be taking part of that. It's also very exciting to see many of them come to saving knowledge of Christ. A little while ago, uh, it was exciting to see them sing and clap their hands and praise the Lord and uh, to hear from some of them how they came to know the Lord and how the Lord has worked in their lives. So in addition to getting physical help, they also have found spiritual help, they have found uh, salvation in Jesus. I asked how she came to the Lord. She married a leprosy patient in our colony and uh, when she came to the colony and uh, she lived there, she listened to the word of God and God spoke to her and she answered to baptism. We had the opportunity to meet one of the leprosy sufferers in this colony whose uh, daughter has actually been able to study uh, with AMG's help and is now in medical school and is uh, going to be a doctor and care for others in this uh, uh, society and it is really, really special to see people who would not have had another chance to be given an opportunity to be shown the love of Christ and to see the love of Christ transform their lives for this life and for eternity. Uh, there is nothing better than that to know that uh, there are people that uh, can be equipped to earn a living to live a normal life and then to be after this life in a place where there is no more pain and no more crying and no more sorrow to be with Jesus. So we are grateful for giving the opportunity and the privilege to minister to them. It costs approximately $35 a month to care for a leprosy sufferer, to provide what they most need, the clothing, the food, the care that they need to survive every month. And it's a very small amount to make a difference in their life. Once you join me in praying for this AMG ministry, that God will continue to use it to make a difference in the lives of the leprosy sufferers, that they will continue to experience the love of Christ, that they will uh, uh, grow in their faith uh, in Christ, and uh, for those that still don't know Him, that they will come to serving knowledge of Christ. amazing how the gospel changes everything. When the gospel goes in a place, it changes everything. It doesn't just change an individual's heart. It changes the whole area, the whole community. People who, because of predominant religious beliefs in India, are rejected from society, find hope because of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the basics of our hope. A hope that is sure, that is built on a foundation that cannot be shaken. Now, we live each day with hope, and we wait for the day when we will see our Jesus and have bodies that are whole and healthy, that are free of disease, that we are completely free from a sinful world. That's what we are hoping for. That's the day we're looking forward to. That's what those leprosy sufferers are looking forward to. That, that is what the Apostle Paul is saying when he tells us 
that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And in Jesus, we have the hope of glory of God magnified. We have salvation and we can look forward to the day when we'll spend eternity in the full presence of his glory. Now, as individual Christians who live with that expectation, with that hope, we can rejoice. But what do we need to be doing to let others experience the same hope? Wouldn't we want them to know the same glory of God? What is our mission as the church, as his church? We come to church and we listen to inspiring music and inspiring preaching, and those are good, and those are wonderful functions of the church. But what is our mission? Our mission is to bring glory to God with everything that we do, to see his name proclaimed and glorified, and to make disciples among all nations who are going to bring glory to his name. That is our mission, to see God's glory proclaimed in the world. And that is my second point. God desires for his, for his glory to be known and proclaimed everywhere. Throughout scripture, we see God's desire for his glory to be proclaimed. There are many, many references. I'm just going to mention three. The psalmist tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. And then in Deuteronomy, we see the Jewish people freed from the slavery of the Egyptians so that God will bring glory to his name. And then in John, right before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he tells Martha that if she believes, she's going to see the glory of God. God also wants us to know that his glory is exceedingly great. Now, what makes it so great? Again, there are so many passages, but let me just give you five reasons why God's glory is so great. In Romans 11:36, we read, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. So, so we see there that his glory is eternal. It lasts forever. It transcends time. The second reason his glory is exceedingly great is because it does not begin to compare with earthly glory. In Peter 1, 24 and 25, we read, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Peter compares our flesh to grass and its glory. No matter what we have achieved, the greatest technological advances, the most beautiful works of art, compared to God's glory, they are nothing. The third reason God's glory is so great, it is one of great power. Colossians 1.11 talks about being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And 2 Thessalonians 1.9 tells us of those who will suffer away from the glory of his might. The fourth reason, God's glory outweighs all suffering in the world. 2 Corinthians 4.17 tells us that the afflictions that we face now cannot compare to the eternal weight of glory. The burden of these afflictions is nothing compared to the weight of eternal glory that we, all of us will enjoy in the presence of God. 
And the fifth reason that God's glory is exceedingly great, it's because Christ was raised from the dead by it. Romans 6.4 says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. God himself, God himself chose to glorify himself by raising his son from the dead. He chose to send his son to redeem lost men from their sin through his son's sacrifice on the cross and raising him from the dead. And Jesus was sent by the Father to seek and save the lost so that he could bring glory to the Father. And that brings me to my third point. God wants us as his created beings to glorify him. And not just us, he wants all the nations of the world to bring glory to his name. God desires for all the nations to glorify his name. What does it mean to glorify? I'm Greek, so you will uh, excuse me if I occasionally go back to my first language, which some of us believe it's the language of heaven. Okay? All right? So the word glorify in Greek is doxologeo. It is the word from which we get the English word doxology. So it's pretty straightforward. It means to praise, to honor, to recognize our magnificent, most holy, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God for who he is and what he is, for his divine attributes and character. God chose to send his son to redeem mankind and bring glory to his name. And just as Jesus was sent by the Father, Jesus told us that he's sending us to the world as his disciples to make God known among all the nations so that the nations may worship him and bring glory to his name. God's desire for worship and for his name to be glorified is what drives world missions. And I love this quote from John Piper. It's a well-known quote. It says, he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Seeking the worship of the nations is fueled by the joy of our own worship. You can't commend what you don't cherish. You can't proclaim what you don't prize. Worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. We have this glorious hope in the person of Jesus for, uh, based on the work of Jesus, what he did on the cross. That should fill us all with joy and we should have this hope and expectation for one day being with him for eternity. Without Christ, there is no salvation. And without salvation, there is no worship. So that is the message that must be heard. heard. The gospel must be heard. The gospel must be heard and believed for worship of God to exist among the nations. And it was because one man experienced this glorious hope that the ministry of AMG started in New York City in 1942. Next year is our 75th anniversary. And 1942, that was not a good year. World War II was raging. And uh, the world was suffering. Uh, the outcome of the war was uncertain. If there were to be victory, that was a long way off. 
These were dark days for the country, but yet there was a street preacher in downtown New York City proclaiming the message of salvation and hope that the gospel brings. And I have often wondered, nobody knows who this street preacher was. I often wondered if he had any idea when he was planting that seed, when you are planting that seed, what lives you are affecting and who may be responding. I wonder if he went home to his wife that day and said, honey, nobody responded that day. But God was working. There was a Greek photographer who had his store in that area, and his name was George Yorgakis. And he came to know Christ as his Lord, Lord and Savior as a result of that message from that street preacher. And he was burdened to reach his fellow Greeks who he knew were in the same hopeless state that he previously was in. And he providentially found another Greek, and together they started the American Committee for the Evangelization of the Greeks in New York City with the goal of reaching other Greeks in New York and then in the United States and then in their home country of Greece. And that eventually, from that start, came AMG International that is now working through nationals in more than 30 countries around the world because a strip preacher was sharing that message of hope 74 years ago. But it's not just there. We have seen God use people who have been touched by the glory of God to start ministries in other places. Turkey is a country of nearly 80 million people. It is 99.8% Muslim. It is dominated by Islam. And uh, it greatly needs to hear the gospel. We started our outreach in Turkey 25 years ago and it consists of publishing gospel messages in newspapers and magazines and the internet. And over the years, we have seen amazing fruit out of that. When people respond to the ads, then we try to enroll them in Bible correspondence courses. And as they make progress through the courses, eventually there'll be personal contact with uh, uh, a worker uh, of the Lord so that they can hopefully lead them to Christ. But how did this ministry start? Dr. Zodiadis was speaking Greece in the late 80s, and to understand this, you have to know a little bit of Greek history. So, uh, Greeks and Turks don't like each other, okay? All right? Uh, I don't know if it's a good analogy for this area. I if I were in Tennessee, I'd say it's Tennessee and Alabama, but anyway. Uh, but Greek, Greeks and Turks, Basically, there's a lot of enmity between them. And it goes back to the fact that what is modern-day Greece was under Turkish occupation for more than 400 years. And Christian families in Greece suffered a lot in the hands of Ottoman Turks during that time. So, uh, Greece came in, modern-day Greece came to existence in 1821 following a revolutionary war, and it grew through a series of subsequent wars to what it is today. The very last war with Turkey was in 1922, ended in 19, 1922, after much bloodshed, and Greece was defeated in that war. And the peace treaty that was signed mandated a population exchange between Turkey and Greece, and Turks who were in Greece and that was a lot fewer, uh, moved to Turkey, and Greeks who were in Turkey moved to Greece. One and a half million Greeks left their ancestral homes in Asia Minor and uh, Eastern Thrace and moved to Greece. Among them were both sets of my grandparents, one side of my wife's grandparents, and many others. There was also a small group of believers 
of uh, evangelical believers from the Black Sea region who were the fruit of American missionaries who had gone to Greece, to, uh, to the Black Sea region in the late 19th and early, early 20th centuries. So, Dr. Zodiatis was speaking at that conference about newspaper evangelism, how putting the gospel message in secular newspapers and magazines brings such outstanding results. And at the end of his message, a lady walked up to him. It was a, she was an elderly lady, and she gave him what was $1,000, I think. And um, she shared her, her story with him. She was a child when her family was forced to flee from Turkey as a refugee. Her brother was killed by the Turks at that time. At some point, though, she had come to a saving knowledge of Christ, and she had found hope and salvation in Christ. And she had experienced that joy, and now she wanted that hope and joy that she had experienced to be made known to the Turks whose ancestors had killed her brother, had driven her family away. That's what the gospel does. It changes people, it motivates them to, it burdens them, it burdens them to reach others with the good news. So, that ministry started 25 years ago and has been tremendously over the years. Each year there have been thousands of responses to the ads um, and many have gone through the Bible correspondence courses and uh, there are many believers as a result of that. It is truly amazing to see that uh, the fruit that God produces when we seek to make his glory known among the nations. We have been blessed to bless others. And from the beginning, God's plan was to bless the nations. In Genesis 12, 23, God tells Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in Psalm 67, we see that the Lord blesses us, so that his way may be known upon the earth and all the nations will praise him. Making him known is also what Christ commanded his disciples to do in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which we know as the Great Commission. It's a well-known passage and it's known as the Great Commission. That's the term that was made popular by Hudson Taylor, that great missionary to China who 150 years ago did all he could to lead Chinese people to Christ. And those two verses say, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Interestingly, Jesus takes his disciples a hundred miles away from Jerusalem to a mountain in Galilee to give them these instructions. This was not an easy trip in those days. It would take them two to three days to get there. It was not convenient. It required commitment. And that's a lesson we can learn from that. Following Christ is not easy and it's not convenient. It does require our commitment to follow him, to make disciples. And on, on that mountain, Jesus tells his disciples that all authority has been given to him. And the word all in Greek means all, without exception. 
It is all the power that there is, and that is the power that Christ has. This clearly points to Christ's universal power. He has all that power, he has all that authority, and that means we have to obey him. And then Jesus tells his disciples to make disciples of all nations. Uh, to go and make disciples. And the word go actually in Greek is a participle. It's por ephendens. A participle is not an imperative. It does not indicate intent. It is a prerequisite to something else. It's the means to an end. It's a method to get something done. And that something is to make disciples. That is the imperative in the verb. You cannot make disciples among the nations if you don't go. That's impossible. And making disciples is not quick and easy. It requires time. It requires effort, a lot of time and a lot of effort. It's very intentional. So Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples and then tells them to baptize them so that they will identify with him and teach them to obey all the commands that he has taught them. Today, we are his disciples, and that is his commands to us. We are to go to the nations and make disciples of the nations. That is what God expects of us. And a disciple is not merely a student. It's more like an apprentice. In the ancient world, and certainly in Jesus' day, a, a disciple would follow his teacher everywhere. They would spend their entire days together. The disciple would observe everything that the teacher do. He would watch every detail of his life. He would become attached to his teacher and follow him both in his doctrine and his conduct of life. The teacher modeled life for the disciple. That's what it means to disciple people. So our task is not just about evangelizing and sharing the good news. That is just a starting point. The whole thing is about making disciples. It means someone who hears the word of God, accepts the word of God, understands the word of God, and applies the word of God in all aspects of his or her life. And Jesus knows that this is a huge task that is still going on today. And it is a task that is entrusted to us. He concludes his instructions to his disciples with a promise that he will be with them always to the end of the age. And since the end of the age has not come, he's with us today. That's a promise that applies to us. He's with us. And it's an amazing and wonderful promise. When you look at uh, the task that remains to be done, it's huge. Uh, and you, the, the reports vary, but when you look, for example, at uh, the Joshua Project from Front Joshua Project from Frontier Ventures, Ventures. There are more than 4,000 people groups that are considered unreached. There are 3 billion people, or 42% of the world's population, that are considered unreached and need to be reached. They all need the same hope that we have, and they need the church established in their midst, and for them to bring glory to God. Reaching them is a big task. But let me give you something to also encourage you with the progress that the gospel has made over the years. And uh, there are many numbers. I'll just share a couple of things with you. Evangelicals, this is according to Operation World, evangelicals are growing at an annual rate of 2.6% compared to, uh, compared to Islam 
at 1.9% and Hinduism at 1.2%. Iran is the fastest growing evangelical population in the world at 19.6% annual growth. More people have come to know Christ in Iran in the last 10 years than the previous 1,000 years combined. Okay. And that's in a country that's in the top 10, according to Open Doors, in persecution. In 1900, there were 50,000 believers reported in Latin America. By 1980, there were 20 million, and the number now is estimated at more than 550 million, according to an article in the Washington Post. One more. In 1900, Korea was deemed impossible to penetrate with the gospel. Today, Korea is 40% Christian, and there are more than 7,000 churches in Seoul alone. So we see that the gospel is making tremendous strides, and there are people that are coming to Christ, bringing glory to God. The gospel is making progress. But let's not lose sight of the fact that much work remains to be done. There are still far too many people that are dying without the saving knowledge of Christ, that are destined for a life separated from him, that don't have hope in their lives. In their lives. And uh, my question to you tonight is this. If you have experienced the glorious hope and joy that only Jesus can bring, what are you willing to do about it? If you haven't, you should, do so, you should do so today. But if you have, what are you going to do so that others may experience the hope and joy that God brings? Are you ready? Are you willing to do something about it? Uh, I want to close uh, with a story. And some of you, I know, are very involved in, in making him known around the nations. Um, and to bring, you want to see people bring glory to God's name, and you are very involved in that, and I'm grateful for that. Thank you, because you are partnering with many wonderful organizations that are doing, doing just that. Um, three years ago, when I was in Uganda for the first time, and so far only time, I look forward to going back this year, I met George, and many of you have met George. Um, we have a picture of George right there. He was one of the pastors in our training conference that was led by a group from this very church. And George has an amazing story. And by the way, let me say this. I'm so grateful for Hoffmantown's involvement in training pastors around the world. That is one of the greatest needs that exists in the world. 85% of the churches in the world are led by national pastors who have had no training whatsoever in theology or ministry. They really don't have the tools, and they are so grateful when people can come alongside and give them tools that they can use in their ministry. It's an investment that uh, multiplies so much. It's so effective. Well, as you can see George in this picture, and one thing I remember about George that I can never forget was the smile on his face. He was radiating the joy of the Lord. He comes from an area close to the Congo border, and he was at the bar 30 years ago when a missionary walked in the bar. 
Okay. And he preached the gospel in the bar. And George came to know Christ in that bar. Okay. Which is pretty amazing to me. But anyway. And his life was radically transformed. And he experienced that hope and joy. And he wanted to share that hope and joy of salvation with the others of his countrymen. And he worked tirelessly to do that, often in the face of a lot of persecution and opposition. In one meeting that he was leading, two soldiers showed up to break up the meeting, but they decided to stop and hear what he had to say. And one of them, today is a pastor, and the other is a leader in his church. But they both came to Christ. Amazing story. And at another meeting that George was showing the Jesus film, 250 people came to know Christ. There are 15 churches in Uganda in areas where there previously were none because of George's ministry. And that man who was one day changing a bar and going out and sharing that hope. And where that bar was, there is now a church of 500 people. And the senior pastor is the former bar owner. Okay. That's how God can work. And because of the partnership with Hoffman Down, George and many of those pastors are getting training that they need and they so much appreciate. But much work remains to be done. If you are not already participating in world missions, what is God calling, to, calling you to do? Are you willing? And are you ready? It certainly means that you should share the glorious hope of Jesus with all of, around you. You should do that very often. And it definitely means that every day you should be praying for the gospel to reach all those people and reach all these nations. Prayer is so needed. Everybody who is working in the field needs your prayers. For some of you, it may mean leaving the comfort of your own home and going and reaching an unreached people group or going to another country or giving your time and go serve on a short-term mission team. And for some of you, it may mean giving more of your resources to fund ministry projects or fund others who are going to the mission field. Those are all things that are needed. So as you pray, what is the Lord asking you to do? Are you ready? Are you willing? Open your spiritual ears and listen to what the Lord is telling you. And say, yes, Lord, whatever you are asking me to do, I will do.